How is everybody? I um, want to share, well, why don't you stand? We're just going to kick things off right away with prayer. We're going to get into the scripture thing and pray. But I want you to stand because the, um, I have a little bit of something weird. I think it's weird. But I want to share, I like to share my process. Um, my name's Tom, by the way. If you're online watching, maybe you never met me. I'm an associate pastor here. Pastor Justin is on a little bit of vacation. So if you don't like what I have to say, just come next week. Um, <laughs> Um, but I like to share my process because I know for me it helps me, especially when we're talking about things like walking in the Spirit, to see how does somebody else process what God's speaking to them. Um, and so this is part of my process, which I'll explain to you in a minute. But um, we're going to pray in a second. And before we're seated, I want to give one little invitation that seems really awkward and weird. And, and I'll explain it in a second. If you are a high school student particularly, but a young person, high school student, that is hungry after the things of God, I don't know why. But I want to invite you to feel free to come on down and sit in these front seats that Jen just vacated and didn't realize that I was looking for. So, so um, I just feel like God's got something really special for maybe uh, some high school students today. Um, but we're going to read out of, and you can do that kind of while we're standing. It would be just like less awkward if you want, but no, no pressure. Um, we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 5. And you can go there if you want, but we're reading one verse, and I'm going to read eight versions of it. <laughs> it's short, don't worry. Um, I'm talking this morning about something that I'm not talking to from a place of um, teaching. I'm talking to you from a place of pursuing, if that makes sense. All right? So we can go on this journey together. Um, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says this. Um, it's, it's what's known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about blessed are the so-and-so people. Some of us are familiar with those. And I'm just picking out one, which is the first, the top one. And it says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now, just listen to the rest of these. These are versions of the same scripture. That was New King James. Okay, the next one. What happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For yours is the realm of heaven's kingdom. Next one. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is the Amplified, so it's a bit wordy. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired are the poor in spirit, those people who are devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. The fifth one, God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. How blessed are those who are destitute in spirit because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And if you're like me, the message says it so, so wonderfully simple. The last one here is, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Isn't that good? Yeah. Lord, today we just thank you. We thank you for whatever it is that you have in store for us through your word. Um, and we just ask, Father God, that you would um, bless the reading of your word today. I thank you that your word is true. And so the truth of it has impact on my life. And Lord, today, may we, myself included, receive from your word something like a seed that would cause us never to be the same again. Amen? Amen. 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 You may be seated. I know I have something that's a little, and that's why I said it's a little awkward and weird, but like two days in a row, I'm going to tell you my process. Um, I actually spent a good portion of um, Monday, which is my sermon prep day, prepping for another sermon. And then in the midst of it, the Lord, I'm reading through something, and the Lord gave me a, 
I read a, a scripture and something quickened in my spirit. You ever have those moments like God makes something come alive and jump off the page? And I knew what he was doing. He, he was inviting me to completely change what I was going to talk about. So um, I've been percolating in this Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 thing, uh, uh, poor in spirit, for a number of days now. In the last two days, so that would have been Friday night and Saturday night, um, I, I have this chair that is quickly becoming my new favorite chair at my house, and I sat down, and I'm opening my Bible, and I read this verse, and, and maybe it's for second service. I'll just go with it, and we'll see what happens. And something quickened in my heart. I had like this excitement where I felt like the Lord say, invite the high, uh, high schoolers up. And I said, okay, that's cool. I've had that kind of thing before, and you're trying to figure out, is that the Lord? Is it just, you know, me that, you know, whatever. Well, it wouldn't go away. And my wife doesn't even know this. It wouldn't go away for so long that I'm like, all oh, right, maybe that wasn't the quickening of the Lord. Maybe I'm having like heart problems. Maybe there's some weird thing going, because I just felt this intensity. I literally, because I'm such a great man of faith, put one of those little heart monitors on. I'm like, what's going on? Nothing was wrong. It literally was the Lord, because the same thing happened the next night. I sitting in my chair, I open up my scripture, and the same thing happened. The Spirit of the Lord came on me. And so um, whether or not you came forward today, or maybe it's second service, I just believe, be praying with me. The Lord has something specifically for some high school students here that I just want to believe God's going to pour out on. So today, obviously, our scripture is about the Beatitudes, and it's about um, being poor in spirit. One of the things I kind of want to give my little backstory to is um, I'm not sure. Sometimes we read scripture and we'll read the Beatitudes. Jesus, I don't know if you know the story, but he kind of gets up and he shares, blessed are these type of people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, those that mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. And he shares about different types of people. And we have a tendency to look at that and we read it as, all right, Jesus is telling me what to do and how to be. And I think there's truth to that, but I'm not sure that's exactly his heart. I, I want to propose to us today that in the Beatitudes, particularly we're going to talk about one, blessed are the poor in spirit, that Jesus might have been saying, this is what a heart looks like, a believer filled with the spirit who's got one foot in earth and the other foot in heaven. How do we straddle this thing where the kingdom of God is near, but it's not fully realized yet? Our heart is with Jesus, but we're still going to have time where we mourn. Blessed are the mourn. It says, for they shall be comforted. We're not going to mourn in heaven. And so we look at the Beatitudes and the Lord saying, this is a heart that positions itself right to receive all that I have for it. And the very first one is this thing called poor in spirit. And it's really interesting because the kingdom of God is very, um, people will call it an upside down kingdom. I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology because in the kingdom, if you read through the gospels, Jesus will say things like, well, if you want to be exalted, go low. If you want to be a leader, serve, right? If you want to um, um, have finances, be generous, there's a, one I love, and it's this principle. It's the idea that says, freely you, you've received, freely give. In other words, you get to keep what you give away, right? If you, in, in, the, in the kingdom, if we have something and we grab hold of it and we don't share, it, it goes away. But he says, what, he, what you have, share it with others, and he actually blesses that. You get to keep what you give away. The, the kingdom is filled with these upside-down type of principles. And in this, blessed are the poor in spirit, is this principle that going low... Being poor in spirit, being humble, is honored by God. And actually, those people that do that, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, think about this. In our, in our world, like, if you think of kingdoms in earth and people running things, 
How often do we think of major business leaders or, or government leaders in the earthly kingdom as being, okay, the reason they're leading that is because of their humility. Or the reason they're leading that is because of their poor in spirit, their need, you know. No, we don't, it's just not how we run things on earth. We run things out of strength, right? And I'm not saying that's necessarily, it just is what it is. But we don't, right? If you leave a Fortune 500 company, most likely you're not coming from that from a place of need. You're coming from that from a place of skill, from education, from experience, right? I have experience and I know how to do this. And that's part of the upside down kingdom that the Lord wants us to realize if we're gonna have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, how do we straddle that thing in this earth? And he says, if you want to participate in my kingdom, if you want the kingdom reality that's available to us now to be available to you, you gotta do it with humility. You have to do it with, I call it going low. That's why it, it said that little title. I just call it going low, that poor in spirit thing. It says this, I'll just give you the definitions out of Matthew 5. We read eight verses, ready? So this is how the eight verses translated poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, spiritual poverty. I like this one. We realize our need for him. Devoid of spiritual arrogance, people who depend only on him. I can't tell you in my own life how there are situations where if I have a plan B, it's actually to my detriment. Do you know what I mean by that? Sometimes God wants us to be in a position where we have no plan B. People always say, we'll go, we'll go somewhere on a mission trip years ago, in the, I don't know, 15 years ago, I used to go to Africa a number of times, and you see crazy things happen. I've seen blind eyes open and all this stuff happen. They say, well, why don't you, why don't you see that here? I have no idea, I'm not God. I do see that here in some, in some regard, and I think we're seeing it more and more. But part of the answer is because they have no plan B. Where I've, you know, where I've been in northern Ghana, they, they don't have a clinic they can go to. They don't even have a doctor in certain places, right? They don't even have, I remember seeing a worm inside someone's cut in their foot just swimming around. All they needed was triple antibiotic ointment and some other stuff. They didn't even have that. But when you don't have plan B, this is a true story, I was up in the... Over, it's this area called Bimbala in northern Ghana. We're in the middle of the night. It's completely black at dark, and where our vans pulled over, we had to use the bathrooms, which were bushes. And um, it's true. Um, and I heard this humming, and I said to our guy, I said to our, our translator slash like security slash driver, I said to him, like, what is that humming? He says, oh, there's a uh, prayer meeting going on just over that ridge. I'm like, it's two in the morning. How long do these people pray? He says, until God answers them. Talk about having no plan B. The poor in spirit recognize that there is no plan B. That either God comes through for me or God comes through for me. And he says, those are the people that the kingdom of heaven is theirs, right? We read the stories. How many people read the book? You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You see Jesus do all these crazy things. You move on to Acts you see these miracles, signs and wonders, and then you realize he says for us to do it, but there's a little bit of a tension of being like, I get that, but I don't quite see that in my own life. Anybody else with me there? Anybody have that frustration or just me? Nobody else had that frustration. Well, Tom, <laughs> message is for you. Moving on. <laughs> well, he's giving us clues, right? He's giving us keys. There's a, there's a great proverb. Sorry, if I, if I feel like I'm, I'm going all over the place. I'm really not. Um, 
I'm just trying to bring some clarity to, to an idea. There, in Proverbs, it says it's the glory of um, God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Okay, the Lord doesn't hide truth from us. He hides truth for us to find. All right, and the idea being my wife and I and the kids, we just took them to Herkimer, New York, so they could go and get some Herkimer diamonds, which are really quartz, but you break these rocks open to get them. In 90 degree heat, you're there for four hours, you realize you pay someone to do prison labor to get these like quartz. But he doesn't put quartz just laying on the ground. He doesn't put gold laying on the ground. He hides the valuable stuff for us to find. It's hidden for us. And in, in this Matthew chapter three, five verse three thing, where he says, the, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for the king, kingdom of heaven is theirs. That is gold hidden in a verse that the Lord's saying, if you'll understand what I'm trying to get at, all of a sudden, when you position yourself as low, as humble, what happens is the kingdom of heaven actually opens up to us. And where new life is going, I don't know if you've recognized this, and maybe I'm in a little bit of a better position to recognize it, is I talk to people, there's actually somewhat of a, a little, in a good way, it's a good or holy discontent with what we read in scripture and where we're, we're at. People are beginning to say, I wanna see the kingdom of God move. I wanna see the kingdom that Jesus talked about invade our life on a more regular basis. And this, this verse is part of the answer to that, how we begin to see that. I just am blessed by that. I think that's a really good news. Um, all right, now this is gonna be fun for me. <laughs> Sorry, at the bottom of my, I'll actually show you, at the bottom of my notes, I have in blue, the word joy written eight times. And I'll, and I'll absolutely say I believe this is a prophetic word for not just me, for us. In the days that we live in, I believe we're supposed to contend for joy. Right? Nothing in our world will lead us into the joy God has for us without us contending for it. So if you see me being a little giddy and silly, it's because I'm purposely trying to say, you know what, it's good. It's good to have joy. Nehemiah, I think it was during the time of Nehemiah when they built the wall, um, I think it was that time, they actually, the Lord actually told them, no sour faces when you praise me. It's a holy day. Make sure there's joy. He puts a high value on it. So anyhow, um, we're going to do something a little different because I want to, there's two verses in scripture, if I can get to it, that I think really um, handle this idea of poor in spirit really well. The first is John chapter 9. So get ready for story time, but open up to John chapter 9, and you can, we're going to read through it together. And I say get ready because I'm reading the whole thing. Um, so you guys ready to hear a really cool story and some common commentary afterward from Jesus? Um, just so you're, we're all on the same page, I was given this Bible. It's called something, the Tree of Life version, and so it might read a little bit differently, but it's my new favorite Bible because it, it's a little fresh for me. Um, it leaves some words as Hebrew, but I'll try to translate those. Um, it calls Jesus Yeshua. It says, as Yeshua was passing by, John chapter 9, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been born blind since birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? You ever ask why they asked that question? It's because religion, the spirit of religion, always looks for the problem. Always. Always looks at the problem to bring division to the people of God. So, and I'm there too. I'm not picking on the disciples. I probably would ask the same question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And J Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the works of God might be brought to light in him. I'm not so sure Jesus is saying here 
God made this man born blind so that I could heal him. Maybe that's possible. I'm not. I think what God's saying is instead of focusing on what the problem is, as spirit-filled believers, our job is to focus on where the answer comes from. Right? I, I don't know why he's born blind, but I'll tell you this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you're about to see something that's gonna change this man's life. He says, we must do, we, this is really interesting, verse four, we must do the work of the one who sent me. That's a, we've been voluntold right there. We must do the work of the one who sent me so long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this thing, this is where it gets interesting, Jesus spat on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud on the man's eyes, the blind man's eyes. Now, if you've ever taught on healing or done any ministry in healing, usually this is not in there as one of the methods that we are supposed to like use with people. But let's, right? Have you ever spat on someone's mud and stuck it in their eyes? I haven't. <laughs> but that's interesting, isn't it? That's how Jesus ministered to the man. You might ask, well, why would he do that? And my theological answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I do know that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So I think in that moment, the Father probably said, hey, why don't you spit on some mud and stick it in his eyes? Okay. <clears throat> okay, so he put the mud on his eyes. He told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So the man went away, washed, and came back seeing. Now his neighbors and those who had seen him as a beggar kept saying, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some of them said, yeah, this is the one. Said others, no, it looks like him. But the man himself kept saying, I am. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And he said, the man who was called Jesus made mud. He rubbed it on my eyes and said, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed. And then I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They bring to the Pharisees the man who was once blind, and now the, the day was Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes, and they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, so the Pharisees are going to try to yell at Jesus here. So um, again, the Pharisees were asking him for a, a, a multiple times here, second time, how he received his sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. So some of the Pharisees began saying, this man isn't from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. If Jesus was truly from God, he would have kept the Sabbath and walked right by the man in need because that's what the law says we should do. But others were saying, how can a sinner perform such signs? So there was a split among them. Again, they said to the blind man, what do you say about this since he opened your eyes? Now this is really interesting. The blind man says, well, I think he's a prophet. How many times you know like we encounter God and we just don't have the right language for it? We're like, I don't, I don't know. He's from God somehow. I don't know what's going on. My life just got changed. It's legit. So the Judean leaders didn't believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called his parents. So they questioned the parents. Is this your son whom you say was born blind, but now he can see? His parents said, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. We don't know how he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough. He can speak for himself. Isn't that interesting? If you read, read what the next verse says here, it says, um, his parents said this because they were afraid of Judean leaders. In other words, the leaders of the church were gonna kick them out of the church if they answered wrong. Isn't that interesting? A miracle happens to a man, changes his whole life, 
and all the religious leaders of the day could figure, like, get stuck on is, do you have the right answer to my question? When the reality is that their theological boat was just flipped upside down, and it would have done them some good to step back and say, I don't know what's going on here. Problem with a lot of us as we lead, and I'm, I raise my hand because it is me, and you'll hear me say this sometimes, is I've learned to say I don't know. Someone comes to you with a, a theological question, and, and you feel maybe as a life group leader, hey, I have to have a, I'm, I'm the person, I need to have an answer. No, you don't. It's quite all right to say, I know that Jesus loves you with everything in him. I know that he gave his life to save you and to heal you. Well, then, Tom, why do you wear glasses? I have no idea. I've been at meetings where, the, you know, you're encouraged, you throw them against the wall, Jesus, and then they pick them back up again because I can't see. Um, <laughs> you laugh because you've been there, right? I know. And I think as, if we want to stay in a place of poor in spirit, part of it is recognizing I don't have all the answers, but I know a guy who is the answer. And if I can make sure that my experience in this world doesn't violate who I know him to be. Wait, but your scripture says that he is the healer. He is. Just because I still wear glasses doesn't make him any less of a healer. It means I live in a fallen world and I don't understand everything. And I think part of what the Lord is saying in blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, is the mystery isn't this idea. People say, well, God works in mysterious ways. And usually that means God's a jerk and we don't understand everything. That's not the mystery. The mystery is he's fully good all the time, and he has unlimited power. I just don't understand all the ins and outs of it sometimes. But make no mistake, he's fully good. And if anything comes and brings accusation against that which I know to be true about the Son of God, that he's, he is God, he's fully true, he's, he's, he's merciful, he's generous, I will not sacrifice those things I know to be true because my experience wants to tell me something else. And the poor in spirit has to have some level of mystery where we say, I don't know, I got nothing. And say, well, we should just pray about that. I don't know. Um, uh, one of the gentlemen who was very instrumental in my life, he said, one of the greatest hurts in the, in the church is people speak with authority on things they know nothing about. And that's the truth. Sometimes we, th we, we speak with authority on things we just don't know anything about. Um, and so I say that as, as a church, as a people, as I watch us worshiping the Lord on, uh, this morning, I look at people that are hungry for the things of God, not just to come to church, but I look at a family who genuinely wants not only to encounter God, but to give God our praises and celebrate his goodness. And so as we pursue this together, this idea of poor in spirit is really critical. I gotta finish my story because it gets really important. Um, long story short, I'll just shorten it. He was blind, he encountered Jesus, he can see now, then he gets kicked out of the church. <laughs> Sorry if that's been your experience, hopefully that's not been here. Um, then this is what happens, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, verse 35, and finding him he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Side note, if you read, I think it's Daniel chapter 7, is really probably what Jesus is referencing with the Son of Man. There's a, there's a section of scripture, book of Daniel, by the way, if you want to talk about poor in spirit, read that this week. It's amazing, the stories in Daniel about people just allowing God to be God and trusting him no matter what. But in there, he talks about the Ancient of Days, God the Father, I think it's Daniel chapter 7, and then the, the Ancient of Days, who's the Father, begins to talk to someone who, who is as the Son of Man, it says. It's, it's referenced in there. And it says that the, the, the ancient of days began to give, allow the son of man to receive glory. Well, you know, I, I'm not, let me, let me just say it real quick because it's, it's really important that you understand in the context of, um, of this, that this is a Jewish culture. So he would understand this. He would understand the terminology of son of man. I'm American. It took me 20 years to figure out what the heck he was talking about. Um, okay, yeah, it's Daniel chapter 7, 13. So this is a vision that Daniel had, and he said, I was watching in the night visions, maybe it was a dream, behold, one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. Who does that sound like? He approached the ancient of days and was brought into his presence. Dominion, glory, sovereignty were given to him. It's speaking of the Messiah. But Jesus looks at this man who was just um, given his sight, and he says, do you believe in the son of man? The man says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe in him. And Jesus looks at him, this is stunning, and says, you have seen him, he's the one speaking to you. It's one of the only times Jesus flat out says, I'm the Messiah in all of scripture. And the man's response was, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now this is the thing that completely screwed me up is this next verse. (laughs) Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world so that those who don't see may see, and the ones who do see may become blind. That's a sobering verse. He tells this man, I I, I came to give sight to the blind, but I'm not gonna make it easier if you think you already see. Who are the blind? The blind are those who can't see, and they know it. Who are those who see? Those who see can't see, but think they can. (laughs) And he says, if you think you can see, I'm not gonna make it any easier for you. And actually, I think it's in Matthew chapter 10, he talks about why he spoke in parables, and it actually alludes to the fact that he didn't speak in parables to explain scripture from them, to them. He spoke in parables actually to hide truth from those whose heart wasn't ready for it. It says they had a dull heart. It might not seem like a graceful thing. It might seem like where's the merciful God in that? But if we don't position our, our hearts in humility, in going low, in being hungry after the things of God, we could read this. This is the tr- truth. I believe it. Take it or leave it. I believe this is a closed book. And what I mean by that is you can have people that memorize scripture and don't know the son. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, you, you, you study the scriptures trying to find salvation. And he goes, I'm standing in front of you and you don't even see me. We can study this all day long with a heart that's hard and prideful and not see Jesus. And Jesus says, no, we have to go low. In fact, you want revelation? You want God to open the book to you? Take a low place and say, Jesus, I'm just gonna open your book for the sole purpose of meeting you. What does that look like in my own life? This is the truth. That means... Um, When I open the book, if I get bored, I tell the Lord I'm bored. I'll come back later. That may not work for you because you might not come back later. I come back. 
or I read until I find something that stirs my heart and then I say, okay, the Lord's hand is on that. I'm gonna follow that thread until the Lord lets up on it. The poor in spirit is a a positioning of our own heart to a place where we now are ready to not only encounter the kingdom, but bring the kingdom. There was a point in Jesus's ministry where he said, he said, repent, which means change the way you think, turn around, repent, you're not looking at it right, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. Why Why did people need to repent? Think about Justin Preach, I think, was it last week on the woman with the issue of blood? Was that right? It's good that I remembered that because I'm on staff here. Um, <laughs> so you have this crowd around Jesus who's, who's just pushing into him, and this one lady sees something nobody else sees. She sees Jesus, the Messiah, walking down a street with everything she needs to answer her problem, and she presses through until she gets it. There's just something about this whole idea of like going low. And in her case, she actually went low. She just pressed through the crowd. Blind Bartimaeus. And he's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Humility positions us to see the kingdom where others just see a guy walking down the street. Humility doesn't, it positions us, going low positions us not to say who sinned, you or your your parents. Humility positions us to see, oh my goodness, God has something in store for you today. Today's your day for a miracle. Oh, Tom, you don't understand. I've had, 15, I've had 15 people pray for me over the last three. It doesn't matter. Today's the day. It's going to be a good day. That's humility because it's not us. We all know it's not me. I, have, I don't have anything to bring to the table, but I know that if God wants to do something, he can do whatever he wants. And since I said I was going to share this other scripture, let's just go there. Um, I'm skipping ahead, but I got the mic. So two kings, this was uh, two kings chapter four. It's really good. Judy uh, shared this when she shared her testimony about God's provision, because this scripture is actually all about provision, Um, but I'm not going to read it in that context, but we'll read it. Um, 2 Kings chapter 4, now a certain woman, so um, I should say this, John chapter 9, where we talk about the blind man, Jesus actually healed an actual blind man, because he loved him, and then used that to teach about this idea that um, he came to give sight to the spiritually blind. He used it as like a living, almost parable, like an example, um, which I think is really stunning and interesting. He did that on occasion. He would actually do something ridiculously powerful, and then he'd turn around and be like, let me explain to you what just happened, because I know you guys didn't get it. Um, And and so he's sharing his heart on on our need to be poor in spirit. I think 2 Kings 4 is going to share with us what that means, practically speaking. What does it mean? How do I become poor in spirit? Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared God. Now the creditors have come to take my children to be his slaves. That's interesting. This whole miracle is because creditors are coming. What should I do for you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So he said, go borrow for yourself vessels from all your neighbors, empty jars, not just a few of them. Go inside, shut the door behind you, bring your sons, pour into all those vessels, setting aside each full one. So she left him, she shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing vessels to her and she kept pouring, filling these vessels with oil. And when the vessels were full, she said, bring me another. 
But he said to her, there isn't another. We're all out. So she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay off your debt, and live off the rest. The poor in spirit responds in faith to the word of God. He told her to do something stupid, like rubbing mud on your eyes. He's like, go, go, the, go to your neighbors and go get, their, uh, go get some pots. Go ask all your neighbors for their sauce pots. Okay? And then when you get home, I want you to pour some olive oil. Just keep pouring. I only have one little, one jar. The, the, the poor in spirit doesn't, doesn't care. The poor in spirit says, if the, if the man of God, if the word of the Lord tells me to do something, I'm going to stand on that word. And we're just going to see it out through the end. The poor in spirit's actually bold. It goes to your neighbors asking for jars. It does what needs to be done to follow the command of the Lord. The poor in spirit doesn't need an explanation to obey. We don't obey because we understand. We understand because we first obey. And much in the kingdom comes from obeying first and then recognizing after the fact that the Lord is teaching me something through my obedience. And so this is the position we take as the poor in spirit, no matter where we're at. Maybe it's a a financial need we have. Maybe it's just your walk with God. Maybe there's, hey, Jesus, I want to see your kingdom come. As we come with our jar, whatever it may be, and we say, God, it's empty. And we are asking and believing him to fill us afresh with the oil of his Holy Spirit, with the answer of the promises of God. We're going to do what he says to do, and we're just going to come empty, believing that we don't stay that way. The great mystery in the Christian walk is to be hungry after the things of God constantly. It's like the psalmist said, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. We're to stay in that place, yet... The Bible also says you have everything you need. You have everything you need in Jesus. We're to be, we can be fully content in God and hungry after the things of God at the same time. I don't understand it all, but that's part of why it's called the upside-down kingdom. And this morning, I want to encourage us that where God wants to take us in seeing his kingdom invade our world, is it requires us to recognize our need to position ourselves low recognizing, God, you're the king. I'm just here to do what you say, but I'm ready. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let, let, your, let your presence manifest in my midst. Maybe uh, as I close here, where are we at? Yeah, it's about time. Why don't we stand? I gotta close. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story that's not my own, but I heard it firsthand. A friend of mine, when I was... Um, a youth pastor in upstate New York, one of the, a lot of us churches did a lot together. It was a miracle in itself. It was so powerful. One of my good friends was a pastor of a, a church. Um, it was a Pentecostal charismatic church. He, and long story short, he ended up through some miraculous events ministering to the underground church in China for a number of years, like 10 years. He would fly over, have a phone number. He'd get there. They'd literally put a bag on his head so he couldn't know where they were. And he would minister to the leadership of 25 million people every year for, I don't know, number of years, five, 10 years. And I would sit and listen to his stories. Um, there's just, I want to tell you, like, you don't just need your, if, you don't, if, if you're not swimming in your own testimony yet, or maybe it's a dry season, find somebody else's, because the testimony of the Lord, there's something about it we all need to be in. Amen. And I'm sitting in, I'm just this young kid, I'm 20 years old, whatever it was, I'm listening to this pastor talk about his adventures in China, and he's like, yeah, we're, we're now, he would go into this flower shop, 
And in the back is where they hid the Chinese um, because they were being persecuted at the time. I don't know. What, and none of them had a Bible. And he would preach, and they would transcribe the scripture on each other's backs so they would have at least a portion of the scripture to go away with. And the presence of the Lord would hit them so powerfully, they had a man standing at the front of the flower shop saying, um, don't hug each other and take your smile off your face because it's not part of their culture. They didn't want people to know what God was doing. Well, after that, they were at a lunch um, with a bunch of people, and he doesn't even know, Pete didn't even know who the leaders really were. He just knew he'd go and he ministered, and he finally says to his interpreter, well, who's leading all this? And the guy says to him, that lady who just served you is the leader of 25 million people. She served you lunch. And he goes, how do you get to be a leader around here? He says, you serve, you go to jail, you come out and you serve again. And we recognize that true leaders are those that serve and go low and aren't looking for a position or a microphone, but they just want what God wants on their life. And the lady who ran that, there's a whole bunch, so there's a whole bunch of, uh, they call them networks of churches in China, and one network was of 25 million people. And one leader of that was a lady who he said was my waitress. Oh, man. That stirs something up in me. Does it stir something up in you today? All right. Did any of this make sense? <laughs> Good. Well, the best picture we have of going low would be none other than Jesus himself. One author, Francis Frangipan, said these words. He said, the holiest, most powerful voice that ever spoke described himself as meek and lowly in heart. Matthew 11, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. This morning, maybe you came through these doors feeling hopeless, discouraged, or fearful. Maybe your future looks bleak and out of options. Listen to me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you don't need to understand it. You just need to recognize, like the lady with the issue of blood, every need that you have is meant to be fulfilled in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He did it back then, and he's going to do it for you today. So bring your empty jar. Amen? Anybody have God ever move in your life? Raise your hand. All right. Now, this is participation time. Okay? I've done a lot of talking. You guys need to pony up. <laughs> okay. She's like, what are we talking about here? This doesn't make me... I want you to share just by an amen, just by a yes, just by a hand clap, I want to read a few things, and if Jesus has ever done this in your life, would you just testify by making some noise? Can you do that? And if you're really excited, make loud noise. Has Jesus ever calmed your fearful heart? Come on. Has he ever strengthened your weary soul? Has he ever, this is a big one, has he ever taken your shame that nobody else could take? And he got rid of that thing. Somebody get happy. Has he ever pulled you out of the miry pit, put your feet on a rock, and given you a new song to sing? It says, a hymn of praise to our God. We may come empty, and that's the call, but we never leave empty. He always fills us. He always fills us to overflowing so that we can splash people around us. As we close today, there's a lot of people in the sound of my voice that I'm looking at, and as I look around, that are splashers. You have a heart that says, God, I want to splash everyone around me. In fact, it'd be okay if you drowned them. Just kill the flesh so that the spirit... <laughs> Lord, today as we sing, as we, as we end in this song, Lord, fill us up afresh. We come with our empty jars 
and we recognize all that you have for us, knowing that we are in complete need of you. And this song is gonna declare some of the great things of God. And as an empty jar, would you just lift high your voice and bring glory to the Son because he's worthy. And what he did then, he's gonna do it again, amen?